Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, sitting next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. Hope it's going great for everybody else. Hope you are having a great day. It is, what's today's date? August 3rd. Can you believe that? August, where are we? We're eight recording. months in. Yeah, we're recording. Eight months into 2020. Yeah. Yes. Yep, I can It's pretty it. crazy. Summer's almost over here. <laughs> are, we, are we done with the 100 plus days in Texas? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, My favorite time of the year is actually fall, winter, and spring in Texas. In Texas, okay, yeah. I mean, I, I don't mind summer, fall, but I just the spring, spring and fall, fall it's good, like yeah. incredible. When it's you know, also you're saying degrees, summer as if it's summer's three months. In Texas, summer is half the year. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. So spring and fall, or and in da- even in winter. Dallas, yeah, yeah, and winter yeah. are great. Um, anyways, hope everyone's having a great day. We are going to do the second part of our Q&A to be able to ask a question in the future. We're getting a ton of questions nowadays, so we're splitting up into two podcasts. We don't have to skip anybody um, or try not to skip people. Follow me at Focus Compound on Twitter. Also, if you want to support the Focus Compounding podcast, go to focuscompounding.com slash app and be sure to sign up for our app. We actually have one that's being developed in iOS and Android. Um, but right now it's a web page version, uh, mm-hmm. tons of content on there already. We have 200 plus episodes of our podcast backlog and then a 2000 word write up by Jeff every single day on investing topics mm-hmm. and then also frequent behind the scenes videos. So, and we, one day we'll probably do questions, take questions from people. That's correct. Like members only questions, you know, people who are on the app only yep. questions. And that will probably be like one off things instead of these long ones that we do these special episodes. So exactly. we'll do that too. Yeah. And in-person Scuttlebutt is a huge part of our research yeah so you can expect to get a lot of videos like that and they're not gonna be on youtube so if you're thinking you're gonna see them on youtube they're not coming on youtube so 7.95 a month it's like what a couple of jeff gets his you know venti i've had a coffee drink frappa mocha blah 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 so it's like one cup of coffee for you jeff 7.95 i I had an eight dollar cup of coffee but it's because of how much espresso shots are in it yes what do you get quad right but Uh, sometimes uh, you get eight when we used to go to the office and stuff yeah that was always eight shots of espresso yeah this man loves loves caffeine. <laughs> so be sure to sign up, focuscompound.com slash app. First question, context might have been around NACO, but Jeff okay. previously mentioned the economics of windmills. What resources did he use to learn about the economics of wind energy? On our research sure. trip, we just saw a bunch of windmills. Wind turbines, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's... Uh, well, for one, I've been, <laughs> so one, and I do appreciate this. It's going to sound like I don't appreciate it. Uh, I've been sent many things on it. So because I'm in NACO, many people send me things telling me, uh, I just thought you might want to know that you shouldn't be in NACO and stuff and, or not always that way, but like, here's why in the wind, uh, economics and stuff of it. Um, but that's true. Yeah. I have looked at that there. There, here's the thing. They're very complicated. Uh, so you can read these things and depending on the source, I've read government sources on it. I've read sources that are kind of pro environmental type things, sort of industry type things that are pro coal and industry type things that are pro wind. Um, and the issue is they're, they're very different depending on the certain assumptions you make. So there's some issues with wind, right? So the issues with wind potentially is it has high capital costs and it's intermittent. So because it's intermittent, we saw those uh, wind farms and occasionally saw wind farms that you're like, wait, why aren't they doing anything? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, well, there's no wind. So they're, they're useless right now. But then there are other times they'd really be going and you'd be like, this is amazing. We're in the middle of nowhere. It's producing a ton of electricity um, in, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And it takes nothing in terms of what you see out there in terms of any sort of uh, maintenance on it and stuff. Uh, we also actually saw, uh, interestingly, a train carrying 
uh, blades did. for wind turbine. Do you remember? I that? feel like when we go on trips, often we uh, if it's not a train, it's like a semi truck, like you know, like yeah. one of those overload ones. Yeah. You, so everywhere. anyway, we saw the train actually carrying a, a train having many, many different blades. That I was putting on for for wind turbines. Um, just so people know, we were in places like New Mexico and Arizona and stuff, which are huge mm -hmm. uh, for wind and, and for solar stuff too. Yeah. Um. So because of that, uh, the thing is, it's like. <sighs> It depends on certain factors. I think carbon is one of the most important things. People are worried about having to put additional capex into their coal plants to keep them running and to keep them meeting certain regulations and things. So I think that's one part of it. I think it's a very big part of why a lot of coal power plants have been shut down over time is because of capex requirements, environmental requirements, things like that. Um, two... I think that capital costs are a very, very significant part of it. So, and this was a sort of factor in like nuclear too. People say like that nuclear, the Three Mile Island, everything killed nuclear and stuff. A really big reason of things that killed nuclear is very, very high capital costs. Real interest rates became very high in the US and it just, nuclear can be very cheap once you're running it, but it's incredibly expensive when you're building it. And if you're usually going to underestimate and all those. So that's the comparison between them. Um, that's difficult. And then I would say the other comparison is assumptions about how much the price of some things will drop over time um, to make them cheaper. Uh, but this is not unusual. I did extensive research recently on my own trying to figure out the economics of electric cars. And uh, it, it was hard because I found lots of articles and stuff about it. And I think they're all not necessarily calculating things that correctly and stuff. Like what? They're... T tremendously understating the actual expense that you'll have by buying an electric car as opposed to a hybrid or a gas powered car. Because the reason why they're doing that is the biggest, I did like the math and broke it down into pie charts and everything to figure this out. The biggest expense that the person normally has monthly on a car is the depreciation in the value of the car. It far outweighs the maintenance. And so they're like, well, you'll save a thousand dollars a year on maintenance if you have like no maintenance. Okay. But if you paid more for the car in the first place, it's declining by a lot more than $1,000 a year. I mean, I don't... So I was asking people about, like, how much will Teslas hold their value and stuff? Because in the U.S., it's possible that you could have a decline of $500 a month in the value of your car over the first five years if you buy a brand new electric car. And, I mean... Compare that to what your insurance costs are, what your gas costs are, what your maintenance costs are. It's very significant. Um, now, if gas is high enough and stuff and you use no gas in the electric car, can you offset it? It's possible, certainly. And it's very, very possible if uh, eventually they have cheap, uh, if, if electric cars hold their value really, really well in the future, which I guess depends a lot on the price of a battery. The main reason why no one would want a really old electric car is because if you buy a nine or 10 year old electric car now, it comes off warranty, you have the risk that you'd have to buy a new battery, which kills all the maintenance, you know, stuff that you saved on before. It's a huge CapEx thing. So because of that, you know, the market for a 10 year old electric car is not gonna be good right now, but maybe it will be good one day. Mm -hmm. And if it is, if they hold their value so much better than, um, than cars that are, you know, internal combustion engine, then that could be a realistic thing about how they could be better in the future. Right now, the sites that you'll find that talk about the future's electric and stuff, they're just ignoring huge parts of the fact that you can't spend a ton more on a car and actually save money over time. They're just saying, oh, the part I put out of my pocket is my only expense, mm -hmm. not the fact that I have an asset that's incredibly depreciating because I paid too much for it in the first place, you know? So they're just the same sort of thing with wind and stuff. Like you read the stuff by things that are pro coal, they leave out a bunch of stuff. You read the things that are pro wind, they leave out a bunch of stuff. That's unfortunately the way that it always is.
Got it. Uh, next question says, MIC on TSE has a high dividend, but five-year CAGR is middle valuation. Thoughts? We could pull it up on quickfs.net. He did say Toronto though, right? It's a bank. Genworth, Michigan, Canada. Oh, so there you go. I, I thought he was telling where he's from. Okay. Because <laughs> just like, I'm like, you know, when people call in on the yes. radio, hey, Andrew Coon, uh, Dallas, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool. I'll roll with it. Okay. Uh, let's see. Genworth, uh, Michigan, Canada, Inc. Okay. Let's see. Turtle revenue, 853. Um, maybe that's million. Canadian dollar, 2.8 yeah. billion. Um, it's not Canadian dollar and US dollar. We could just pretend uh-huh. for this purpose that they're similar. Um, thoughts? It's a bank. It has no business description of it, right? No. So I'm not going to be able to have much thoughts on it. I mean, just without any other information there. Um, yeah. Got it. Thoughts on being a generalist investor versus specializing in industry. What industry would you pick and why? Um, banking, insurance, media, entertainment. Um, I was gonna say entertainment. Yeah, entertainment, consumer, uh, financial, uh, type stuff, information services. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your thoughts on being a generalist versus specializing? Uh, I think it makes sense to specialize, but I think you can specialize in certain kinds of situations or things, not just specific industries. So I do think that some people can make money by specializing in certain kinds of things. I just read. Uh, Am I being too subtle, uh, Sam Zell? Mm. Um, and he, he, he sort of specialized in real estate, but he also specialized in certain kinds of situations, often situations where there was a lot of debt and stuff, but it was some kind of ugly situation that always depended on the supply demand situation. What he was good at focusing on that other people weren't, I would say, is he never just thought, oh, the demand's going up. So what does it matter? The mm-hmm. supply. Mm-hmm. He always cared about the supply. And so if there was too much supply, he'd get out of that sort of thing cyclically. If he saw there was too many apartments being built in some place or whatever. But also he would be interested in things where the supply was drying up and stuff. And eventually the values would go up. So in a sense, he specialized on repeatedly doing the same thing, which was focusing very much on the supply side of stuff, which is something that uh, some people overlook and stuff. So you can apply that same idea over and over again. Um, Buffett's whole career, to be honest, is made by specializing in like maybe four industries or something. Something. Almost Which all are of his, uh, ban- I say, yeah, banking insurance, um, and then like publishing, broadcasting. There's very little outside of that. I mean, he has made some occasionally big money and some other stuff because the other thing he's done is brands, you know, big brands. Mm-hmm. Whether that's, I mean, brands. If we count everything from C's, they're they're consumable like food type brands or mm-hmm. things like that. So it's things like C's and Coke and Gillette, regularly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so, I mean, but overwhelmingly his money's really been made in things like broadcasting, publishing, insurance, and banking, and especially things like insurance and um, newspapers, like a huge amount of newspapers, but also TV things, which are very close to each other. Even he made money in ad agencies, but all the media stuff he's been in has been ad-supported media. It's never been stuff where he's been in subscription media stuff, you know, where it makes a meaningful amount. So his understanding of like advertising, and if you just think that he's all about like advertising and float, that's a huge amount of his entire performance over all the years he's been doing it. Like if you just add up what that actually means for his compounding. Um, so he's in a way a specialist. Any thoughts on U-Haul? Market cap is $6.3 billion, but is fairly, fairly overlooked. Only one analyst following. Beta less than one, share turnover less than 100, and has high insider ownership. 
they are the industry leader in do-it-yourself moving and are reinvesting heavily in the business to grow self-storage. A lot of That's been the story for a while. About this. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people ask about this. Um, I'd say all the things that were said in that tweet are accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've used U-Haul before. I've used U-Haul plenty of times. Um, it's obviously the leader in that uh, it is, what are the returns on invested capital over time? 10% over the past 10 years. How cyclical are they? We have had a low, we're currently at a low, it looks like a 5.7 and a high of 10. Yeah. Or 12.7 in 2014. And what's the price to book? Price to book is currently 1.5 times. I mean, that's the hard part about it. It's fairly cyclical, and it seems like the price to me has always been at not that different from the return on capital, which is fairly muted. So I think buying it at a cheap time in the cycle for it, it might work out really well. But I'd be careful because I don't feel like the full returns over long periods of time are that high. Obviously, returns on capital and self-storage are poor. Um, they have very high, very low cap rates, very high multiples. Mm-hmm. And so they do really well. If you put in public storage, just so people know, that's a leader in... Um, in uh the uh in um self-storage stuff right the important thing there is if you look at like the key ratios so if you go to key ratios we can just show you this what i mean what are like the what do we have here we have ev to sales and stuff over time ev to do they do price to book ev to yep. EBITDA? what do they do we have price to book price to sales okay price so to earnings the only one that's useful really is price to book so what's it done over time um in 2010 it was three times 3.22 times and now we're currently at 7.41 times okay and so if we go to the overview and at one point in it was 8.33 times in 2015 yeah if we go to the overview currently at 3.8 times what's the EBITDA? ebitda 18 times yeah so it is interesting though. Chipotle and Fico a lot more. Yeah, I thought that, that they, you know, I just, I mean, like the day that I would see something trading at EBITDA multiples a lot higher than public storage, there's nothing safer than like public storage's EBITDA stuff. Um, public storage has some, just so people know, public storage has some perpetual preferred stock. That's how they fund themselves instead of using debt, which is a very interesting way of doing it. They can pass on the dividend if they don't pass a dividend to them, their common shareholders. So it gives them much greater financial flexibility than other companies. And uh, anyway, occasionally they become attractive like in the 2008 one and, and things like that the current occasionally the preferred plunges you'll never make a great return in it but it's very safe preferred stock um sometimes they can call it pretty quickly though so it's, it's not necessarily that attractive but just it's a very safe preferred stock um so you know i don't know i mean it, if you get 20 times multiple on your ebitda and stuff then the company will be seen differently mm-hmm. yeah that's funny when you laugh about something from a different podcast <laughs> Can't get over that valuation of Chipotle and Fico. Well, they're they're like double. Yeah, or more, they're 50 two, times. They're, yeah, so yeah. they're between two and three times public storage, mm-hmm. which EBITDA public storage is just like money that comes in. You don't have to do much of anything with Total, it. It's yeah. incredibly safe, yeah. Uh, do you think Brexit will affect long-term growth at Vertu? And if so, how do you model it? No. You waited for Vertu um, to see the effects on Brexit, didn't you? Was that that stock that you were looking at at one point when you were following Brexit pretty closely? Uh, I, we don't hedge, so I was waiting on things to happen with the pound, and they did. So yeah. that was lucky. So I mean, in virtue, we've made some uh, at, at times in virtue, we've made some money in the sense of on the currency without making it in the stock. What is your benchmark for your fund? Do you use the SP 500 in addition to whatever micro cap benchmark you use? How many years of underperformance would it take to close up shop? <laughs> I don't know about the, the, how many it would take to under, 
how many years of underperformance till we close up shop. Just use the S and P 500. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, um, I mean, for the fund, our clients are whatever you want to call it. They they know what every they know what all the indexes did and what their other things they're invested in did and stuff. The tr- we don't. It's not really like our focus is in any benchmark or anything like that. Yeah, for the fund, I think pretty much every one of our investors is a investor themselves in some capacity. I would never use anything other than the S and P five hundred <laughs> because it, other things might make more sense for your strategy or whatever. But in the long run, then it's kind of like cherry either cherry picking it or I think it feel it's too confusing to people year by year. So we'll report like if we use Russell type things or whatever, we'd be like, Oh, we were up this year cause it was so bad in that one, but then it'll have a great year some other time. The S and P is just the kind of thing like over a long period of time. I think it's realistic. People might've picked it. Mm-hmm. That's just the reason why I use it. Not because I think it's accurate as a measure versus benchmarking. Like you should be doing something against that index. Mm-hmm. But just if I was going to say what might people actually passively buy and stick in, I think S&P. I really think that's the one thing that it's realistic that someone would just index into that. I don't think there's a lot of other things they do that with. Somebody asks, when will I get a girlfriend? Just kidding. Do you guys have a minimum number of years as far as historical financials for companies you are evaluating? Uh, technically, no. Uh, no. The truth is no. Uh, if I could learn enough about the company to know what it's like today and stuff. So, I mean, we look at spinoffs and things that I wouldn't have detailed past stuff about it. I'd have to guess or were there gaps in it or whatever. Um, but it'd have to be a business I know really, really well and things like that. It, it depends. It's like in some businesses, there are some businesses where I could probably understand it with just a couple of years financials if they gave me. So like if someone was like, here's my restaurant here's my bank, here's my mm-hmm. hotel, something like that. And you really liked them and their capital allocation stuff, you could figure it out. But if it was a business I didn't know well, then yeah, I would need really long-term stuff. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Berkshire accumulating Bank of America now having permission to own up to 24.9% of Bank of America stock? Yeah. I think they might buy more of it over time. They, mm-hmm. I think Buffett would, my guess is Buffett would like to put a lot of money into banking at the prices that it's at now. Yeah. And Bank of America is the best way to do that right now in, in a single stock, which is how he does things normally. It's very big and he could buy a lot of it over time. Mm-hmm. It's fairly liquid and all that stuff. Um, somebody asked any updated thoughts on NACO. We talked about that recently in a podcast. I think you went pretty extensive. No, I don't. It. People ask that all the time. Yeah. I, I mean, we occasionally every quarter or something, I have some updated thoughts on it, mm-hmm. but not a lot. And then we could just close out okay. on this. Um, what happened to special situation investing? Are there still opportunities there? It's a good question. No. <laughs> I mean, th- there, there might haven't be been a some, lot of good spinoffs. There might be some. And, and look, lots of people, not lots of people, but some people made a ton of money like last year or whatever in some, some special situations thing. And there have been people who have made some money in them. There, you know, Buffett said, some, there's been years where Buffett said like, well, I haven't looked back and said, oh, I wish I'd done this deal. And, you know, mm-hmm. and I would say that there's some things that have worked out. And we could see, but even some of the ones that worked out, some of them are pretty trashy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really not good. And they worked out because the market kind of went up and it was okay to have a lot of leverage and whatever. But I have not seen a lot of things where I go, oh, that was a mistake. I should have been in that thing or whatever. The way I, that we do it too. Maybe if we own 40 stocks or whatever, that'd be different. But They've been pretty bad. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they, we'll see. They might work out for a while. Who knows? But spinoffs lately, well, I won't say all special situations, but spinoffs lately have been 
pretty unattractive. Companies have more and more. I was reading the Peter Lynch book, and he was saying, you know, companies don't want to spend something off and then have it go bankrupt and stuff. Now they do. Um, <laughs> yeah, now, now it's they, an opportunity, it's, it's right? It's a thing to get rid of, and they know that people will buy into those. Like that, it'll be seen as a positive Fair by market, value yeah. investors, and that they're enhancing shareholder value and all that. So they spin some things. I mean, we could just look at some of the things of what I was talking about. Like go to OTC markets, right? So some of the things that people liked, KLXE, people liked a lot. Um, you know. And you can see what's happened with that stock. Um, yeah, you know. Okay, so that, it, oh, go to go yeah, to it. The spin, right? Yeah, no, no, no. That's K. It's KLXE. Yeah, that's the spin. Why off. is that nine dollars? Go down to the year thing so you can see it. Pick one year or two year, and you'll see. All right, so it's a reverse oh, split. They do a reverse split. Yeah. yeah. So that's KLXE, and that was one that's typical of it, where they used a bunch of leverage. Mm-hmm. Right. They tried to buy things up quickly afterwards, and management had a ton of skin in the game with very little cash compensation and high amounts of stock compensation. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of typical of the things that worry me because it had all the things going for it that people like, and yet it fundamentally I don't think was such a great story but a super cyclical business Mm -hmm. that had been not proven for a long period of time where they acquired a bunch of things another one that we looked at and stuff is ETM right Intercom Um, which is a similar thing huge uh, so it was a reverse Morris Trust with um, uh, CBS radio and stuff and a huge so it's radio a lot of leverage um, and huge buy-in by management and stuff. We're actually buying it in the open market and everything. Um, similar sort of thing, though, in terms of how risky this was and is and everything. And I would just say the same thing with, with um, KLXE. And we also looked at Serence. Yeah. Serence, I think, recently has done very well, right? Mm-hmm. So Serence is an interesting one. I, I talked to some people in the industry as best I could, talked to some people about what they do and everything. I just feel that it's, um, so it basically does like the interface for you in a car, um, where you ask, a assistant voice assistant thing to do something for you in the car. It's like AI. And it makes the actual thing that does that AI. Um, but it's very basic AI. Um, so what we're, it's not about driving the car. It's about your interaction with it. That's it. That's what they do. So like, um, I forget what the BMW one is, but that's a good example. They do the BMW one, but they do it for lots of customers Mm -hmm. and uh, so it's white label that way where like it looks like bmw is doing it but they're not um and so you know it's up a bunch uh i just from talking to people they all said look um it's like i don't see something that sarence is doing that like five people couldn't do over the weekend in a garage kind of thing you know Mm -hmm. um that basically this is now that doesn't mean with their sales teams and whatever things they do and stuff working it together with car manufacturers it can't continue to be successful i think like as a sales and marketing thing and like managing the accounts and stuff it might make a lot of sense they make a lot of things work together but as a tech company uh just everyone was very, very, that I talked to that didn't know stocks that well, but new technology was very, very negative on it when I talked to them about what Serence says it does. And they're like, oh, well, this is stuff that 10 years ago was difficult to do, but now anyone could do. Um, and so, you know, I felt like that's just changing too much too quickly mm-hmm. in that industry. Yeah. Yeah. But there really haven't been a lot of good s- special situations well, that we've looked at even this yeah, year. Yeah, there have been spinoffs. Like. I did write up a couple. We can go and look at a couple that I wrote up. So let's do some that I didn't like and some that I did like. So, Or do you uh, want to go just pull up to QuickFS? Yeah, QuickFS is fine. So I wrote these up on Focus Compounding, but like an example is I didn't, I felt Garrett Motion was outside of my 
uh, circle of competence. So, what do you remember the ticker? G uh, uh, no GTX got it. GTX yeah. So, but you needed a stock chart for it, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, this made things that often have like turbochargers and stuff. A fair amount of it's diesel. A fair amount of it's the um, Europe. I don't know those things well. Don't know a lot about cars, car manufacturers, things like that. Uh, so, I wanted to skip that. Um, there's also one that's a little more interesting, sort of, is Honeywell uh, did a spinoff of um, where are you doing? So, do a Residio, R E S I D E O. So this one was interesting oh. because down 16% today. Uh, this one was interesting because do you have like a one year chart or something? Is sure. that what I'm looking at? Okay. Um, it was interesting because there's kind of a few different parts of the business. I thought one of it was kind of negative and stuff over time, um, which is the business where they, um, the product sort of thing and stuff. Didn't feel there's a lot of detail on this one, but the thing that's interesting about it is the deal they have with um honeywell which is that they have a um uh so basically earnings will just go up over time because they're taking charges where they're paying them for uh environmental liabilities on the sites that they have but if those environmental sites are cleaned up over time they'll then pay less and less. So basically they have to reimburse them up to a certain amount, but they can't reimburse them beyond that amount. So they're equal to the lesser of some amount, like say $200 million, or whatever the liabilities for cleanup actually are. So as it happens over time, their earnings will just go up. And it's actually a few percent a year it'll go up. So it's kind of this nice kicker that it has in on the earnings per share that way. And of course, it's a very, very safe way of doing it. Because in general, the real liability rests with Honeywell. They can't really be bankrupt. They're not really going to be bankrupt and stuff like this, no matter how bad it gets. It's capped and everything. So it's actually sort of like a very nice form of debt or whatever you want to call it. It's not a good thing to be saddled with. But in terms of like the EPS and stuff, it kind of understates things, you know. So uh, I liked it a bit better that way. But the actual business and what was happening with it. I didn't like as much it they're you know, they're very big in thermostats and things like that. And the, they were the leader and all that in the U S Hamilton beach brand. They've I recovered, recover a little bit. Yeah, yeah. This one, I don't get why they're recovering stuff. I liked it and wrote about it. What? $6, $8, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, and it was pretty interesting, but said it was very with COVID and stuff. It is at risk and it's very at risk here. We'll see what happens in terms of people buying online versus in, in stores. But this is something that's incredibly seasonal and dependent on sales in department stores and Walmarts and stuff. And so I don't know if people will be doing a lot of that Christmas shopping and stuff that they normally do. If the Christmas season is badly affected, it'll really hurt companies like Hamilton Beach Brands. It'll hurt companies like Movado, as well as hurting the department stores. Many of them are already bankrupt and stuff. Um, but other ones, you know, there was... Um, the two I liked best, I guess, as businesses were Carrier and Otis. So you can do Carrier. Um, Carrier, I thought, was cheap. I was surprised at, in the sense of I was surprised at what it was spun off. So I don't look at the stock price when I'm uh, analyzing a spinoff and I kind of guess what I think it'll spin off at. Mm-hmm. It spun off less than I thought it was. I don't like the business as much as Otis, but if we look, do you have the max there for when it spun off to now? I was really surprised by where it spun off in terms of price. Looks like $12. Okay. And what's it at now? 27 Okay. So I was surprised by the price, but you know, now it's at the price that I expected or, or worse um, in terms of uh, how attractive it is. Otis, I really liked the business, uh, but did not like the price. Mm-hmm. Um, not that the price was wrong, but it was too expensive for me. So Otis, I had more hope for long-term. Carrier, definitely reading about it, kind of disappointed me. 
Why is that? In terms of the business. It just it wasn't as good a business as I thought it might have been, learning about it. Mm-hmm. Otis, I think, is a really good business. And I kind of think they have things they can do to improve their economics in the years ahead i was saying like i think they can prove their efficiency per technician and stuff in Mm -hmm. some countries and stuff like that which is incredibly important and something i have underestimated many times i mentioned i underestimated with an armored car company underestimated with a pest control company underestimated with a um linen service company i just always underestimate when a company says we can increase our per technician thing on like a route that we do and i think they can do that and if they do the earnings per share will grow faster than like sales and stuff like that. Um, but a lot of them, not, not that cheap. And then there were the, the jeans spinoff contour brands and there's some things like that, right? The gap one fell apart gap and old Navy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that one would have been interesting, you know, um, what other spinoffs have there been lately? See KAR. We talked about that one. Okay. They do auction services. Right. Um, and then there was IAA as right. well. So KAR is the one that does the wholesale auctioning thing. So they would be, let's see, can you chart them against each other? The, the, what did the other one spin off as? IAA? Yeah. Let's okay. See. I don't know how to do that. How do I? You can just do compare and stuff, but there you need to go. know, but you have to know that that's really the ticker. It is. Okay. What did it spin off? What, what date did it spin off? Um, but, 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 the I don't line, know the top of my well, head. the line will yeah, just Yeah, so I guess right there, two, middle of 2009 looks like, or 19 looks like, um, June 1st was the first day. Okay, like. so do like a year, do a year chart so we can see what they've looked like since then with COVID and everything. Um, so IA has done a lot better than KAR, mm-hmm. which would be expected based on what they do. Um, although odd because of course reduction in driving affects both of them a lot, but, um, yeah, I, you know my feelings about the, the IA thing. Everyone believes that IA can be as good as Copart mm-hmm. and that they can make just as much money and stuff. I don't know. I don't think their business models are exactly the same and everything. And I, it, it's not bad if you could get it meaningfully cheaper than Copart, but in all the write-ups I saw, people were kind of assuming they'll have the same margins as their yeah. peer. Mm-hmm. And I just think Copart's That's why a lot of people were company. super excited about because Copart's obviously been such a great stock, right? But you're using one peer and what if it's yeah. a good peer? Mm-hmm. What if you're saying we could have the same combined ratios as Berkshire Hathaway's insurance business because that's the one peer you see? Look at that chart. Yeah, it's not cheap stock, I don't think, right now. We can check the... We've always said that. We, we can check the check the um, quick FS thing on We're it. We're talking about Copart for people listening. Yeah. 32 times earnings. Okay. EV sales, 10 times. What's EV to EBITDA? 28 times. 28 times, yeah. yeah. Woof. Yeah. Um, so not cheap. Nope. But yeah, I'd say many of the spinoffs and stuff haven't been that attractive. They've filled them up with a lot of debt. There's a lot of riskiness that way. Um, I just haven't seen a lot that I liked. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of it is people trying to, I don't know. I just feel that things have changed in spinoffs such that management and believes that they can that it draws attention to it and that they can get that. It's not something that's done as a last resort. It's something that's actually seriously considered now as like a a thing that you do to show your interest in shareholder value and to show all that stuff. You think you can get a better price for it than there used to be. I think there's too much interest in spinoffs compared to what there was before. So, um, you know, people were asking about like, um, the blank check companies and stuff. Yeah. And after a bunch of those go bad, maybe that'll be a good time to buy into them mm-hmm. because then everyone will be so turned off of them. I just feel that people are too interested. Value investors are too interested right now in, um, spinoffs. 
it's too much a thing that people say this is an attractive thing to be in. And so everyone just kind of thinks, what if I buy a bunch of spinoffs? Um, I don't know, without even paying much attention to the business, just like paying attention to like this management own a lot, whatever stuff like that. Did you see this one? No, I did not. Would you give this man a $4 billion blank check? <laughs> cover of Barron's. Yeah. You know what happens from there, right? Hopefully it, not, right? In his is situation. the cover of Barron's? Uh, I think uh, it's one of those things. It's like Sports Illustrated? Yeah, I think it's one of those things. Anyways, I thought that was interesting. When did it? I don't know if that was this weekend or, or yeah, August uh, 3rd. There you go. Yeah, we're talking about Bill Ackman. I wonder what he's going to invest in. He said a uh, mature unicorn. I don't know what that means, but we yeah, talked about that. that. It's almost like an oxymoron, right? Like a mature unicorn. What, what yeah. I don't, I, I don't know what that means either. But we, we'll see. But yeah, the, well, actually, the it's been, um, what would you call it? Uh Blank check stuff's become pretty popular. Yeah, that's recently. The new thing. It's become really popular. Yeah, SPACs, that's the yeah. new thing. Well, they're not new. Well, I feel like a lot of people are. are Last time around, this happened. We've invested it. We've looked at, invested in whatever, tons of companies that were in 2006 and stuff, blank check companies, and then they fell apart and stuff. I mean, the last boom had blank check companies in a big way. Um, some of them went on to buy re- normal, reasonable stuff. And then, like, you know, whoever was involved in the early part got pushed out or whatever. Mm-hmm. Cool. I mean, isn't Greenbrick Partners the it, successor to a blank check company? Yeah, it was a reverse merger. Yeah, one they did like a it was a shell company. Yeah, and we talked about um, I think Future Fuel. I talked about some other ones and stuff, which are uh, if I remember right, I'd have to check. Same thing. Spacs are the new hot thing on Wall Street. Not new. They are the hot thing. Last boom too. (laughs) Interesting. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and I on the Focused Compounding Podcast. Uh, if you want to support everything we're doing here, make sure you go to FocusedCompounding.com/app, and then you get access. Without, this is a premium episode to everything that we do behind the premium wall, um, which is videos, frequent write-ups by Jeff, which is daily, Monday through Friday, and then videos of us talking about different things. Why do we look so sad? Yeah, yeah, you took a picture there. I feel like this is YouTube clickbait stuff where it's like, and then you have the title that says shut up and listen. So (laughs) That's right. And then we have write-ups right here, as you can see, that Mm -hmm. are behind. And then, of course, you get access to the full backlog because only 20 of the most recent ones are available here. So www.focuscompounding.com slash app, $7.95 a month. Be sure to sign up. We are very active on here. If you want to get all the write-ups, which Jeff talked about, today mm-hmm. of past spinoffs go to focuscompounding.com the uh investment write-up website and you can get access to that i want to thank everybody so much for tuning in and we will see you in the next podcast